you know, you're there and how you look and what you do and all that sort of stuff means nothing when, you know, you're, you're sitting in your car facing a tree about to put your, your uh, foot on the pedal. You know, that's that's how I look at it. I was this big, tough guy that had everything. You know, that, that meant absolutely nothing when it came to the point where I was at my lowest. You know, that wasn't going to save me. You know, the fighting skill wasn't going to save me. The big, tough guy wasn't going to save me. Um, I was absolutely rock bottom and there was nothing at all that was going to get me out of it. Hello and welcome to the Chip Away podcast. My name's Adam and I talk with passionate construction professionals and try to chip away at what it is to build, create and shape the landscape we live in. My guest for this episode is Sean Weir. Sean Weir is a fitness professional who owns multiple gyms over in Victoria, Australia. Sean is the creator of the Shaka Project, an initiative that aims at uniting blokes to start conversations about men's mental health encouraging connection, mateship and brotherhood through the shaka, all inspired by a dad's love for his kids and his mates, as well as an Instagram page that promotes positive mental well-being and speaking up on mental health. The shaka Project have a range of apparel that helps spread the word and begin conversations about how, as men, we can be part of reducing the stigma of mental health and do something positive for ourselves and for those around us. I bring up mental health a bit on this podcast as it's a big issue in construction. Uh, It's something that's close to my heart personally. I care about the well-being of my fellow brothers and sisters in this trade, so I feel that the more open we can be about it, the better experiences we can have at work, which has a flow-on effect to all that we do every day. I have to give fair warning here. Neither Sean nor myself are mental health professionals, and nor do we claim to be. What you hear is what you get. Two blokes having a yarn about things blokes should perhaps be yarning about a bit more often. Sean really tells his own story and gets into some pretty heavy and sensitive areas that some of you may find difficult to listen to. So therefore, I can appreciate that this podcast is perhaps not for everyone, uh, as depression and suicide are topics that are not to be treated lightly. On another note... I have to apologize in advance for some of the audio quality you're about to hear on this podcast. There were some lagging problems that I just could not clean up in the edit, unfortunately. But I feel the podcast is coherent and very listenable, uh, all thanks to Sean's brilliant speaking and storytelling ability. It was a pleasure to get to do this podcast, and I hope you can get something out of what Sean has to say. Here's a guy who walks the walk, and I take my hat off to him for that, so... Without further ado, I bring you Sean Weir from The Shaka Project. Thanks, Sean, for, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of, of what you guys do um, at The Shaka Project. Um, I, like, I like the fact that a lot of guys in construction even that I know um, that follow your page the whole thing about it just being even uh, when you post daily, just a little message like that. It's great when you can kind of, you know, you start your day even maybe and check your phone and, and there it is. There's just a little a bit of a positive vibe or something to think about as you start your day. So, um, yeah, just to kick things off, I think that's, that's awesome. And, um, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing. So thanks for coming on. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No worries. So I wouldn't mind just getting to know you a little bit. You're kind of the guy behind all of this. So um, yeah, just a brief bio, if you will, and even in, in your background. And um, 
I, I'd definitely like to kind of build that into just how this all started and how what your journey with mental health was and what really prompted you to want to start something like what you have. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm from uh, from Ballarat, Victoria in Australia. So um, a very small, it's not a small regional town, but it is a regional regional city. Um, born and bred here. Uh, I uh, I went through high school not being the best kid. Um, I didn't really enjoy high school very much. Uh, I sort of, you know, I went there for the social aspect and I loved hanging out with my mates and, um, you know, getting up to a little bit of trouble. And, you know, I, I just didn't want to be in the classroom pretty much. Um, in about year 10, I got the opportunity to personal trainer and I, I working in gyms by the time I was in that course for, you know, for about three or four years and just sort of progressively going through um, and entering this, in this uh, career of, of fitness and, and personal training. Um, when I was sort of back uh, coming to a personal trainer to get into a lot of drugs and alcohol and um, as I said, I was, you know, I didn't like to go to a mate's place, have a few drinks, um, get on the drugs uh, and pretty much just get up to a lot of mischief, mate. No, I, I found myself in positions where I was either going to get arrested or um, I was, you know, I was going to kill myself or I was going to kill someone else with the, with the stuff that I was doing. So um, just really silly stuff, just petty crimes and stuff that I just, you know, should not be or anyone should be doing. So, um, and I think it was, it had a lot to do with, you know, uh, the kind of person that I um, wanted to be. I wanted to be that person that was sort of that alpha male at the top and, um, I wanted to sort of be known as that cool guy and for some reason I thought doing all this sort of stuff was was the answer and that was the thing that I had to do to be that alpha male and be that big tough guy and that everyone was you know afraid of and you know he'd do anything you asked him to and um, he wasn't really afraid of you know the the law or uh, he wasn't afraid to get hurt he wasn't afraid to hurt anybody all that sort of stuff I wanted that it sort of set me on that path, I suppose. And I was really on a, on a on a before, you know. I was hurting people. I was hurting myself. I was getting myself in trouble with the law. Um, there was moments where I was arrested, and um, I was getting in a fair bit of trouble as well. So uh, that that was moments where I had to sort of reflect back and, and think about what I was actually doing. Um, I had a great great family. My mum and dad were the most supportive parents in the world, and um, they didn't really know anything that I was doing. Uh, they thought I was a pretty good kid and I think they probably thought I had a bit of a strike to me, but um, they didn't know the extent to it. Obviously, they do now. Um, I've confessed all my sins to them, but um, back then they thought I was that, you know, I thought they thought I was going to school and doing the best I could. Um, they knew I didn't like school and they respected that. Um, but, yeah, look, they didn't, they didn't know the full extent to it. I don't think really anybody did besides my close mates and the people around me. So I tried to keep it pretty secret. Um, I had a really big wake up call one day when uh, a, a close friend of mine was killed in a car accident. Um, and th the reason it was such a big wake up call is I remember the night very vividly. I was, um, I was in a car with, with my mate at, at the time and we actually just left a party where um, we actually stole I think we stole about three or four mobile phones and just other stuff from, from the house. And we were on a bit of an adrenaline rush and feeling pretty good about ourselves, about what we'd just done. Um, and we passed this this car accident and we actually looked at each other, had a bit of a joke about it and, um, you know, just didn't really think much about it and continued to drive on. Um, got home that night and jumped on, 
it was actually it was the end of MySpace then, so it's just the start of Facebook. So there wasn't much going on, but um, jumped on Facebook at the time, and and there was always messages about this person has died, and I sort of jumped on because I recognised the name, and it turned out to be one of my close friends. She was a girl that didn't didn't do anything wrong in life, and you know I I looked at that and thought. This girl has done absolutely nothing wrong with her life. This accident, there was nothing, uh, nothing bad about the accident. Just a complete accident. Um, but here's me do this stupid stuff, and I get to live another day. So that was a massive wake-up call for me to say, I really need to, you know, pull my straps back on and get my life back into some sort of working order because I'm just pissing up against the wall at the moment. And um, you know, if someone with really good ethics and a girl that would go really, really far in life can be tragically taken like this for no reason at all. Um, then some idiot that is taking life around every single day, um, you know, that probably deserves to be taken before someone like that, um, you know, I probably need to pull my head in. So, so I sort of knuckled down a little bit. I, I really started to focus on on my fitness career and, um, you know, heading through, you know, year 11 and 12, I, I went through and I didn't do my um, ATARs. I'm not too sure what they call them over New Zealand, but ATARs are just like your... Uh, interview exams I didn't do those um, but I did when I went through all of year 12 got my graduation certificate um, just because I promised mum that I'd do it and I knew I'd, I'd get a rap if I didn't so um, I did that and then as soon as I finished year 12 I started working in gyms around uh, around my town so I worked in a gym for about nine or ten months and I was feeling pretty good um, you know I loved fitness uh, I was still a little bit off the rails I wasn't sort of 100% there yet I was drinking a lot um, I was, I wasn't using drugs as much as I used to, but I was definitely still using. Um, and there was still that sense of, uh, that I was pretty invincible, but again, it wasn't as bad as what it was when I was 15, 16, 17, but it was still bad enough to make some bad decisions. Um, I worked at this gym for a couple of months and, and decided to start my own business, my own personal training business, which started off just as a couple of boot camps every single week. And um, then I'd start doing personal training out of mum's garage, uh, which was which was really fun. You know, I'd wake up and walk out in the garage and I'd be at work, which was really handy. Um, and I could have naps at work as well because our bedroom was inside. So I worked out of mum's garage for a while and my business started to really, really grow and flourish. And, um, you know, I got to a point where I could actually put people on and, and hire people. Um, still out of mum's garage, which was pretty cool. Um, and I was just, I was really going down a really good alley and I was feeling really good about myself. I was very fit, I was very healthy. Um, but there was always just that thing in the back of my mind where I love to go out with the boys and have a drink and, and get on drugs and, and, you know, do some wild, crazy stuff. And it was just, it was something that was just always in the back of my head that I always wanted to do every single weekend. Um, I, I made attempts to, you know, limit it as much as I can, um, but it's a pretty powerful addiction when you uh, when you start it and when you you're trying to work through it, trying to stay healthy, trying to stay above water, and um, there's this addiction screaming in the back of your head, telling you just to do it one more time or just to go out one more time with the boys, and you know you can't let your mates down, go out, get on it, all that sort of stuff. So. Um, I did start to hit the drugs a little bit more and I started to get into um, 
you know, some drugs that I didn't think I'd ever get into. Um, and that's when my life sort of started to really, really spiral down. Um, I had, I did get diagnosed with depression when I was about 18. Um, and it was, it was mild severe. So it was more just the depression where um, I struggled to get out of bed and I was struggling daily to, um, struggling with work. You know, I just started my own business that wasn't very working very well. And um, I was, about that, I was losing people in relationships, all that sort of stuff. Um, and as I started to hit, you know, those drugs and get more into this, got so much, so much worse than, than what it was. And to the point where, you know, I'd stay in bed for days. Um, I would, you know, I'd think about different ways that I could commit suicide. Um, you know, it was a danger for me if I was in a hotel. You know, I, I remember. I'd, a time where I was in Melbourne, I was in a high-rise hotel and um, the only thing I could think of is that would be a good way to go. And then it was just rifling through my brain the entire time I was there. I was with my ex-partner at the time and, you know, I, I just couldn't focus. The only thing I could think of was going out the window. So um, that was a really, really brutal time. It was a really tough time. Um, there was many instances where I'd just try and cover up these bits with alcohol um, so I just get blind drunk and normally go and do something stupid. Um, on my 20th, 20th birthday, I got very, very drunk, very, very intoxicated on different drugs. And, um, I did end up getting arrested, um, and chucked in the, uh, in a drunk tank. And this is at a point where my personal training career was really starting to flourish as well. So on one hand, I was this really you know, successful personal trainer in a very regional town where everybody knows everybody. Um, and then on the weekend was this idiot that was going out, getting drunk, getting on drugs and getting arrested. Um, and I got arrested in front of a lot of people. And, you know, in a small regional town, word spreads very quickly. So, you know, when that word got out the next week, the next two, three weeks, that was the worst week of my life because I was losing clients, I was losing friends. Um, you know, one of the police officers that arrested me was actually one of my clients, which I didn't know until the next day. Um, so obviously lost them as a client. So it was a really big moment for me. Um, and it was one of the biggest, you know, regrets of my life of what I did that night. And, um, I had every, every right to be arrested. Um, but it had the biggest impact on my career for sure. And then my mental health, because I lost so many clients, um, you know, I was losing money, so I was, I was in financial ways. Um, I lost a lot of respect, which I had worked so hard for building my business up in, again, a small regional town, you know, starting a business, especially personal training, where it's all about to be, you know, good health, um, good physical and mental health. Um, and here's me just absolutely spiralling down. And probably the next three to six considered um, closing the business completely. Um, I considered just completely shutting off from everyone. I was still living at my mum's house at this time. Um, so I would, you know, I'd lock myself in the room and not talk to anyone. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I, would, I didn't want a girlfriend at the time. Um, and I just completely pushed every single person away that was, that was trying to help me. And I thought that was the best thing for me. I didn't want to hurt anybody else. Um, I knew that I'd already hurt a lot of people. So, um, 
within that six months, obviously my depression spiraled out. My family was trying to help me. I wouldn't allow them to. Um, and then one day I just decided that I wanted to, you know, take my own life. I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, and the, the story is probably, it probably ends with a bit of a funny anecdote, which is go for a bit of a drive. And um, I said, all right, let's just do it. Let's just get this done. Um, there was this clearing there and I sort of just sat there for about five or six minutes and, you know, just tears on down my face. It's not going to be there anymore. I'd turn my phone off. People were trying to call me, turn that off. Um, and I just put the foot on the accelerator, um, aimed for a pretty big gum tree and just closed my eyes and went straight for it. Um, and I was, I sort of just like let go of the steering wheel when I thought that, you know, impact was pretty close. Um, and there were so many things rushing through my head, but at the same time, there was absolutely nothing rushing through my head. It was just a very, very surreal feeling. Um, and all of a sudden I had this big bump, um, with initially the first thing I thought was I'd hit a tree and something had happened. Um, but I'd hit a ditch just before the tree. Um, and it sort of flew me out of the way of the tree. Um, and sort of like into scrape, I sort of scraped through some bushes, but just near the tree, right next to the tree. Um, and I slammed on the brakes and pulled into, you know, some shrubbery. And the first thing I did, which this is the funny part. The first thing I did was get out and make sure I didn't scratch my car. <laughs> I thought, fuck, I'm trying to see if I scratch my car and I was just about to total it in, into a tree. You know, it was a pretty new car as well. It was, it was my pride and joy. And, the first thing I did was get out and make sure I didn't scratch it, which I did. I, I scratched it a hell of a lot. But, um, you know, the fact that I got out and checked that when I was about to total the car, I thought was pretty um, pretty entertaining and I burst out into laughter. You know, I thought it was I thought it was just some sort of miracle that I hit this bump and it shoved me out of the way. And um, to be laughing, you know, five minutes after you were just tearing your heart out was... was yeah, that's that's my little. Um, I believe I've got a. I've got a. Um, if I didn't kill myself, I definitely would have. You know, put myself in a position where I wouldn't be able to live a very comfortable life. Um, so that was a. Uh, um, after that, I continued to obviously stay on medication, and I started to make better choices and um, started to drink a whole hell of a lot less. I gave up the drugs. Um, I would only drink maybe every second weekend or maybe only if we had a function on, if it was a, a friend's birthday or a, a wedding or something like that. So that's the only reason I would drink. Um, I found myself a really, really good girl and, and I was starting to get really, really happy. Um, and, you know, I started to get back into my fitness and back into my career. I started to build up my business again and, you know, really got to the stage where I wasn't great. Um, and my alcohol and um, you know, giving up the business and stuff, but I was in a better frame of mind because I knew I'd beaten it before um, and I knew that I could do it again. So um, I got to a point where I could get off medication, which was a really big moment for me. Um, it's a really big moment because I remember it vividly when I told my mum, my mum's my best friend, she's, she's been there through absolutely everything and She's written every single emotion that I've ever written for the last 27 years. She's been there. So um, I remember one day I was going, um, 
I was with my, my ex-partner at the time and my mum came out while we were packing our bags and she sort of whispered in my ear. She didn't sort of want to say it out loud, but she whispered in my ear, have you got your medications? Have you got your, your antidepressants? And um, I looked at her and gave her a big smile and she sort of just looked at me with a, a confused look on her face. Um, I said, oh, I haven't been on antis for about three months. I just didn't tell her. I just didn't think it was a big thing. Um, and she just completely broke down. I've never seen mum cry so quickly and so much. Um, she broke down and just, you know, gave me the biggest hug. And I didn't really realise how big of a deal it was uh, until after that situation. And, you know, that was a really big moment for me. I, whenever I stand in the kitchen, I still remember it because that's exactly where it happened. And um, ever since, you know, that was, that was close to seven years ago and I haven't been on medication since. So um, that's another big moment for me that really helped um, fulfill everything that I've been through um, and made all that, you know, sort of seem like it was okay and that it had happened and I could, I could talk. Um, yeah, another big moment. And look, mate, since, since then, I've, I've worked, I, I work a hell of a lot. Um, since then, I've been able to open four gyms around Victoria. Um, and that's my absolute passion. You know, I love fitness. I love training people. I love coaching. Um, I love business. Love all that sort of stuff. Um, I've got two beautiful kids, which are my absolute life, and um, they're you know what I live for. Um, and one of those kids, Braxton, he's he's six years old. He's the one who inspired the the Shaka project. Um, I always wanted to do something for mental health and. You know, even before the Shaka Project, I used to do th th things through the gym. You know, we did like a 24-hour treadmill challenge, which we raised um, heaps of money for, and that all went through to Beyond Blue. And we used to do, um, you know, just events at the gym every couple of weekends, or we'd do a sausage sizzle, just little things like that. And um, I love doing things like that, but I wanted to do something bigger. I wanted to do something that had a bit of legacy and had a bit of message behind it. Um, I think raising money is great, but raising a message is even better um, and you know getting the message out there getting people talking and igniting the conversation is going to have a lot you know longer lasting effect than if we raised 15 20 30 grand um, and to be able to really really touch people individually and be able to see the effect that we're having on people is much greater than handing over a check of, of money that we've donated so um, yeah look I always want to do something and I thought the best way to to get something out there is through clothing and through apparel. Um, and I, I wanted it to be something regional. I wanted it to be something that my mates could connect with. Um, and the reason I chose the Shaka uh, is because Braxy, when he was, he was about four years old at the time and we were at a, um, at a playground and any parent would know if, if your kid sort of falls over at a playground, you consider whether you really need to get up and go check if they're okay. You know, if it, if it looks like they're okay and they shrug it off. But what he did this day, he came off the slide. It looked pretty hard. He came off the slide and I was about, you know, 20, 30 metres away. And I um, I looked over at him and he chucked up a shaker and I chucked up a shaker and he sort of said, all good. And he continued playing. And when he did that, I thought, wow, that was a really cool way to communicate. Like we just communicated without talking. And it was guy to guy talking without actually talking you know we opened up that line of communication so i thought wow that's that's a really cool thing that we just did 
what if I can do that with my mates? You know, what if I can do that with people closest to me that might be struggling? You know, um, if they can send me a message without actually talking that lets me know that they may be struggling, that I might have to help them with something, then I think the Shaka is the best way to do it. Um, so we launched the Shaka project. You know, it was a it was a very, very small investment to start off with um, of our personal money. And we I think we got about 30 T-shirts made, 30 jumpers made, um, and a couple of singlets. And within a week, we had sold out every single item. Um, and then we pre-sold about 50 other items before that. Um, we had, you know, over 150 sales within, um, you know, as I said before, I, I started it to get my mates. You know, I thought my mates would buy some and, you know, we'd probably sell 30 or 40 T-shirts within the entire period. But as soon as it launched, it just went nuts. Um, and we've now had orders. We've had over a 1,000 orders. Um, we've had orders from, you know, a lot from New Zealand, um, a lot from United States, Canada. Um, we've had a few from England. Um, we've had one, we had from, one from Italy a few weeks ago, which is really cool. Um, so just all over, it's just been absolutely amazing. So the, the reach that we've been able to find has been incredible. The stories that we've been able to hear have been incredible. Um, and the people we've been able to meet has been absolutely amazing. And, you know, I think the biggest thing with mental health, and I think one of the reasons that a lot of men especially don't talk up about mental health is because they think that they are alone in what they're feeling. Um, but I think what this has done has proven that they're definitely not alone because, you know, as you said at the start of the podcast, we, we put up a, um, a quote about feeling good about mental health and, you know, some of our posts that we put up has had like, you know, 700 to 1,000 likes and, um, you know, over 500 shares and stuff like that. So that's just sort of shows us that, people are watching this and they're really relating to it and they can, you know, they can relate to what we're saying and they can relate to our feelings because everything that we post, you know, I have myself and Graham, Graham's one of my best mates and he helps me out with, with the posts. Um, you know, they are all authentic. They're all things that we are thinking and we are feeling. Um, you know, if you see a post on there one day saying, fuck the world, it's because I'm, I'm having a shit day. <laughs> you know, that, that we, we try to, we try and put stuff up that we are authentically feeling, not stuff like, you know, just be happy and just, you know, just do this, just do that. It's not authentic. We like to do stuff that is actually from our heart and that we're feeling in that current time. Um, and, you know, that resonates with people. It, it, it shows that we are human and that everyone else watching and, and paying attention to those to those posts and stuff like that can really relate to it. And I think that's the best gift. That's the best thing that we've gotten out of it is the amount of people that have been able to open up and talk about it and, um, the amount of you know times that we're walking down the street, whether we be in Ballarat or Melbourne or wherever we might be, and we see someone wearing a Shaka jumper or a Shaka t-shirt, um, it's pretty incredible. You know, it's it's not only incredible because you think, wow, it's really cool they've got our stuff on, but as soon as I see someone with a Shaka t-shirt or a Shaka jumper, the first thing I think of is that person. If I'm struggling, I can talk to that person. So it's sort of like a permission slip. You know, if you see someone wearing a shaka top, you automatically know that you know, if I'm feeling down, I can go and talk to that person and that person's not going to judge me because they've got a permission slip on their, you know, on their top right now. Um, and I think that's really cool. I think that's a really important aspect of making sure that our logo is as many places as possible. Um, 
it's almost like, I mean, in Australia, we used to have these these signs. I'm not sure if they have in New Zealand, but they were sort of safe street signs. Um, and I'm not too sure they're around anymore. But as a kid, my mum used to tell me, you know, if you're ever in trouble and, you know, you're by yourself and you see this this sign, it's a safe street sign. So you can go into one of the houses and feel safe. I don't think they do it anymore because it would be pretty hard to control. The world's a bit crazy at the moment. But um, I remember seeing them and thought, oh, that's a safe street. So if I'm riding my bike and I fall off or if I'm riding my bike and a stranger's following me, I can go down this safe street. So it was almost like that, that you could, you could safely talk to this person about your feelings. So I think, I think that's that's probably the best thing about the uh, the entire project. And mate, it's it's changed my life completely. It's changed my outlook on everything. Um, and it's been one of the best things best things I've done. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, I mean, uh, great story. And and what I like, it's a unique way of doing it through apparel. I think because. I feel like globally and especially perhaps with men, we're right at the start of this uh, movement, if you want to call it, where we're raising the awareness of mental health, um, especially with men. It's such a clever way to do it. You know, this is a sort of a construction podcast and a lot of the listeners will already know um, about the great work that Trademutt do over in Australia. They have a pretty similar thing where they have these shirts and they sell them and guys will wear them on site and it's that idea of a conversation starter like your shaka apparel and I, I really like what you say about having that permission slip because it is it is like that you know you you feel like oh there's there's other people out there who are saying hey uh, I guess it's okay not to be okay or even let's let's talk about this there's obviously a hunger there for this conversation to be started um, and I guess we've just got to work out how best to do that. But yeah, I think I think you're doing a great job. So, other than kind of wearing apparel, especially for men, I just wonder what what other ways can we really kick it on to the next level? Do you think and really get this conversation started? I like to think that the, the conversation it started, but it, I mean it's it's it started, but there's just not that ignition. You know, it, it seems to go out a lot and. It seems to be um, disturbed a lot as well. You know, we see even in even in the media, um, you know, we see athletes that are, you know, they may call time on their career to, you know, themselves with their mental health. And, you know, we've just had a few players that they've just ended this thing where they, where they wish them well and they wish them luck within the first two to three days of it happening. And then it sort of just disappears. Um, and I think that's, that's what we were talking about, where the, the conversation is there, but there's just no fire to that conversation. And it sort of just simmers out after a while. Um, and it's really disappointing. And especially with people in the limelight as well. Um, so like AFL players or NRL players, stuff like that. People that you know, we, we all look up to, we all have looked up to in the last you know, 20, 30, 50 years of, as these big, strong men who go out there and play footy and um, big and tough. But at the end of the day, they are only human. It can be really helpful, and the same thing with, um, but it can also be absolute poison as well. Uh, you know, the, the amount of positivity that we try and put as much as we can on the Chakra Project with our quotes or with our posts for Instagram at the moment, that is actually positive. You know, there's there's not much positivity at all, especially with the stuff that's going on at the moment with the with the pandemic. You know, it's a it's a time in the world where we all need to be one. We all need to connect with with each other. And, you know, there's about 5 to 10% of the people that are connecting and are being kind. And then there's the 95% of the people that are just being really bad people, just being absolute dicks. Um, and 
it's just bringing everyone down. You know, it's 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 not what we need at the moment. It's not what the world needs. It's not what Australia needs. It's not what New Zealand, what New Zealand needs. It's just about kindling the conversation as much as we can, not forgetting about what it takes to ignite that conversation, which is stuff like, like you know, being understanding of other people's feelings, no matter who they are, um, being respectful of people's feelings, being respectful of people's cultures, all that sort of stuff as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of different things that need to go into it to continue that conversation. Um, I think if, you know, it's like the, the flow on effect. If one, if one mate can talk to another mate and they can be comfortable um, talking about mental health, and then that person go to another mate and they can be comfortable. I think that's the best thing that we can possibly do to continue the conversation on, continue the fire in the valley. Um, and I think it's up to men as well, especially men that really, really care about it to stand up to things. Um, and I'll say that, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago where, you know, there was, we were talking about mental health and, Oh, it probably wasn't someone that I was uh, super. They started talking about their friend that was suffering from mental health, and you know he he turned around and said, "Oh, yeah, I think he's struggling, or he could just be being you know a big girl," and you know things like that, just little comments like that, which are really really toxic. Um, not only you know discriminative towards females, but you know it's just completely toxic towards mental health, and um, you know that his mate that you know this guy's come to me for assistance and his mates probably thinking you know my, my, my boys have got me here they're gonna they're gonna help me and he's out there calling him a girl and saying he's a big girl and it, there's nothing wrong with him so um yeah you know, that's not that's not a mate doing what he should be doing a mate should be sitting there and absolutely actually discussing with him and and listening and you know even if he doesn't talk if he just listens to a mate then that's what we need to do you know if you're not comfortable with doing it then you don't have to do it it's not a necessity but it's something that we can all learn to do, I think, especially men. Um, and we just need to swallow our pride a little bit. You know, I used to be this big, tough guy that talked about doing this and doing that and doing all the drugs under the sun. And now, you know, I can sit here with my mate and talk about how I cried last week and, and you know, how I just feel really down about this. And, um, you know, I can text. I've got, as I said, Graham before, we text each other daily, just, you know, seeing how you are and, we openly discuss their mental health every single day, just checking in with each other, um, asking how we're doing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's super healthy, you know. Now, every time that we, we have a beer together, we don't talk about things that we should be doing or things that, you know, could be funny. We talk about each other, you know. We talk about how you're doing and, you know, if, if someone's having a relationship breakdown, all right, mate, how's that making you feel? And um, you know, all my mates, I hug every single time I meet them. You know, if I meet them for a beer, I give them a big cuddle. Um, you know, I never would have done that, but, you know, I want to show my mates that I love them as much as I can. Um, so I give them a big hug. Obviously, at the moment, we're not allowed to hug each other, but <laughs> sneak right in. Um, but, yeah, look, I think it's just about blokes just, just swallowing their pride a little bit, um, just remembering that, you know, we are all in this together. We've only got one life. This isn't a rehearsal. Um, so let's just look after each other and, and continue that conversation. You know, it, it's definitely started, but we just all need to work together just to keep that fire going. I wonder if you think, you know, to kind of take an example from your own story even, uh, you've touched on it a little bit there, but is this almost a little bit about redefining masculinity and what it means to be as successful as a man? 
from your own story when you were growing up, when you were a younger fella, it seems like your idea of being a man was, like you say, being the tough guy, you know, going out, getting on the lash and, and doing all the drugs and getting in fights. And, 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 you know, that's kind of what we're all sold as young guys. Like, that's what you got to do. Or, you know, you got to be the superstar athlete or, you know, you, you got to kind of, uh, whatever it may be, that cliche masculinity. And, and now maybe it's a, just a thing as, as men get older, we kind of, we get over it, but some people kind of don't. And, and, and I feel they get stuck in it. And, you know, even in, in your own situation and look, I've got guys and I've kind of been there myself as well, where you can go down some bad roads, that kind of, that, that path that you're on at that age, you know, like your own story, it can, it can lead people to eventually want to take their own life. So, I feel like in this modern age, I just wonder how much we can kind of redefine what masculinity is and, and find how to be successful in other ways and, and accept that and not kind of get that, oh, you're just being a big girl sort of attitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think masculinity is a massive, massive factor. And I read a, I read a quote, actually, I think it might have been this morning, um, just about strength and the fact that we, we look at men and we look at strength in men being that big tough guy that will just do whatever they can to get to the top when being able to notice to actually talk about it and being able to be empathetic for other people as well um, you know you can be that tough guy you can be the biggest guy in the room you can do all that um but you know at the end of the day physical attributions and your you know your stance and how you look and what you do and all that sort of stuff means nothing when you know you're, you're sitting in your car facing a tree about to put your, your uh, foot on the pedal. You know, that's that's how I look at it. I was this big, tough guy that had everything. You know, that, that meant absolutely nothing when it came to the point where I was at my lowest. You know, that wasn't going to save me. You know, the fighting skill wasn't going to save me. The big, tough guy wasn't going to save me. Um, I was absolutely rock bottom and there was nothing at all that was going to get me out of it. So um, I think we just need to accept that every now and then and you know you can you can still have that persona if, if that's what makes you happy then you know you do what makes you happy but we also need to make sure that we're looking after ourselves and um you know if if you're not looking after yourself then everybody around you is suffering which is something that i've sort of come to terms with as well you know if, when i knew that i was looking after myself you know my parents were suffering my partner was suffering um my friends and mates always all those people around me they were all suffering um, and I thought it was just them, you know, I thought it was just them reacting to life and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, you come to realise that all these people around you that absolutely love you, um, if they can see you're hurting, they are going to hurt just as bad. Um, if they can see you going down a path, they're most likely going to be down that path with you. So, you know, swallowing our pride again and just, you know, not being that stereotypical, you know, macho man and just accepting that you know if you're six foot tall it doesn't mean anything if you're if you're going through depression or if you're going through a tough time um you just need to accept that you're a guy yeah absolutely but it doesn't mean that you have to be the tough guy the entire time um doesn't mean you have to be strong 100 percent of the time as well you know i still have moments um i struggled probably at the start of when we started the uh the shackle project um, I struggled at times when I was going through some stuff and I thought, why, why am I running this page about positive mental health when I can't even get through my own shit? And that was really, that really affected me as well. 
and then I had that realization. I thought, well, if I'm sitting here having a go at myself for going through tough times, then that's what I should be angry about. You know, that's what I, I shouldn't be doing. Um, and that reflected straight back onto the onto the page. You know, I think when I went through that moment, I put up a post about you know not being the strongest one in the room 100% of the time. Um, and that was exactly what I was feeling. You know, that's what I was feeling at that time. And um, if I was going through some stuff, I could I could actually vent it. Men have just got this this cone that we, we all sort of surround ourselves with. I think a lot of men are starting to adjust to it. Um, and there's a lot of men that we probably will start with, you know, the younger kids and kids coming out of high school and, um, you know, getting to them nice early and just, you know, letting them know that they don't have to come out of high school being that big tough guy and, when it, you know, when life hits, it hits harder than anything else. So, absolutely, and I think you know one of the things that I often think about, and I and I look at it from a construction perspective, and I'm sure it's the same in in other industries. At the end of the day, you still can be that that big kind of macho man, and even if you want to, you know, run that classic masculinity, I think you can do it. But I think you can do it in a better way. And and one thing that we suffer from in our modern age is that we're more connected than ever now with social media with, with how we use our phones you know uh, you know me and you here we, we're talking we're from miles away and and we made this happen but yet i feel we're kind of at the same time we're more disconnected on a personal level and, and we almost need to relearn how to be mates you know i really like what you're saying about how you can be that open with your mates and and you can have those sorts of conversations you know when when i sit down at smoko on site everyone's on their phones no one's looking at each other no one's talking to each other you know you're spending nine ten hours a day with these lads you see them more than your partners and if you can't say much to them then you know where's where's the opportunity to kind of have those conversations and and have that even start where you know your environment when you're going to work is especially in construction it's a it's a bit of a boys club you know i wonder have you found that in fitness as well and and what I want to ask you also is how it's a little bit different because I know through my own experience just how much good physical exercise can be for your mental health so I wonder if you could touch on that a little bit as well yeah absolutely so I think it's it's probably a little bit similar in the gym um you know at at times it can be that boys club as well you know you've got that group of guys in the gym that you know, big and bulky and lift all the heaviest weights and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think since starting the Shaka project, all of those blokes have sort of come out of the woodwork and they have started to talk about their their emotions and their feelings. And um, especially in the gyms here, you know, we've had blokes come to me and, and you know, they've, they've bought T-shirts or they've bought hoodies. And again, that's without even talking to them about their, their feelings, about their emotions, as soon as they buy a hoodie from me, I know that actually deep down they've actually, you know, they might be going through some stuff. So again, they've given me permission straight away that if I see them in the gym and I think, oh, they might be look, they, they look a bit down, um, I can approach them and say, hey, mate, you're doing all right. You know, what's going on? Probably the same in the, in the, yeah, getting that first thing in. And, you know, you're right, we are always on our phones. If we can have people looking at their phone and going through negative, 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 and just see one glimmer of positivity, especially when they're having a really bad day. You know, if they're having a really awful time, social media is the worst thing they can go on. You know, if if they can, especially fitness-wise, you know, we see a lot of people, um, females especially, suffer from, like, body image and 
Um, you know, oh my God, why does she look like that and I don't look like that? Or same thing with guys. Why does he have a six pack and I don't have a six pack? Um, you know, and they're going through social media and they're seeing all this stuff that just makes them really, really sad and they can't stop. And then they see some sort of glimmer of positivity um, that really helps them out. But again, we need to press a one-on-one and, and you know, be that person. You know, we talked before about um, being the macho man and being the, the man up the top. You know, be the first bloke to go to your group of mates and say, hey, boys, tonight, except for drinking, we're going to sit around and talk about our feelings. Mm. You know, if they stand up and laugh, I guarantee you they stand up and laugh, but I guarantee you deep down they're thinking that's actually a really good idea because I'm struggling. You know, I'd, I'd absolutely love to talk about it. Mm. But they'll get up and piss themselves laughing. and they'll think, fuck off, mate, you know, we're not doing that. But deep down, I guarantee you, they'll, I'm going to go first sort of thing. So fine, no worries, don't say anything. Have a couple of beers. I'm actually going through some stuff, the same stuff today. And that's broken the ice. You know, that's stuff that I like to do every now and then and um, just to ignite that conversation and let people know around me that if they're struggling, they can come and talk to me or if they're struggling, you know, um, or if I'm struggling, you know, I need to know who I can talk to without having that sort of um, non-empathetic, you know, judgment and stuff like that too. So I think, you know, physical fitness is is my mental health break that's exactly what i do to uh, make myself feel good and feel better and um if i'm having a really bad day i love just going for a run or you know getting on the boxing bag or just hitting the weights wherever it might be and i think it's it's a massive thing when it comes to long jeopardy mental health as well you know mental health something that there's no real cure for mental health um i don't believe but i think there's some there's things that we can do to give ourselves the best chance. And physical exercise is most definitely one of the most important things. Um, you know, if you can try and train every day or get out there and go for a run or even just a walk or kick the footy, whatever it is, but just getting out there and just getting those those happy endorphins going, all that sort of stuff every single day, um, then I think it's going to be the best benefit that we can possibly have um, to, you know, improving our mental health, long jeopardy as well. Good physical health, equals good mental health every day of the week. I'm just lucky enough that I absolutely love exercise. You know, it's never a chore for me. Um, some people absolutely hate it. Um, and some people, you know, really, really despise getting out there or going to the gym. They may not want to be in the gym, all that sort of stuff. Completely understand that. Um, but, you know, get out and just move your body. Just just do something that makes you feel good. Do something that you love to do. Um, and just think about that good mental health practices. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't, don't really see when they look at mental health that there is bad mental health but there's also good mental health um and you can do things that are bad for your mental health and you can do things that are good for your mental health like going to the gym like you know if you play guitar sit down and play guitar for 30 minutes and turn your phone off um you know going for a run or sitting there watching the footy that might be your good mental health break whatever it is just try and do it every single day yeah absolutely and i think with with fitness it's it's the perfect substitute for what guys usually reach for you know talking about men here especially is that i found in my past when i'm not having a good time when i'm not feeling great i'll reach for a beer or i'll reach for something negative to cheer me up just to give me that quick fix because that's kind of where your mind goes uh through habits i guess so uh yeah it's not it's not easy but definitely i might feel pretty good after a few of those beers or i'll forget about my bad thoughts but I always feel better if I hop on the bike or go for a run. Uh, you know, you, you might, like you say, you might not want to pull yourself off the couch or kind of, especially when you're in a, in a bad mood, it's hard to get that motivation. You know, I find, especially with guys on the building site, 
when you've been slogging your ring out for 10 hours a day, the last thing you want to do is go for a run. It does help. Uh, so I'd definitely recommend that. One thing I'd, I wouldn't mind asking you, and, and you've kind of touched on it there a little bit, about what we talked about earlier about kind of redefining masculinity. And I, I like what you say about maybe we can kind of put a challenge out there and say, you know, perhaps classically the idea of a male or the masculine or the macho man was, you know, that super dominant, get to the top no matter what, that kind of badass sort of dude. But now maybe if you can kind of make it cool or at least um, if you can make it look good that the the best thing to do for you to be masculine, for you to be a man, is stand up and say something about mental health and really look after your mates. And I think you're right. Deep down, guys are, are thinking that, even though the first reaction is we have to laugh that off, otherwise we'll look like big girls ourselves, you know. So, um, yeah, I think I think what you're doing with your with your project, especially if you don't mind me saying, for someone like yourself, you are, you know, to look at you, you are that kind of macho man. You're a big dude. You work out you got tattoos, you're that kind of guy, you know, from outward appearances. So I think it's such a great thing that we have role models like yourself who will be like, you know, hey, if I can do it, you can too. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And and one thing I wanted to ask you, just to finish that up, is you talked about it with your mates, you'll stand up and you might do that sort of thing and you'll say, hey, let, let's talk, are you okay, you know? Um, so I wonder if you have any advice over your time or just things that you've picked up about about being vulnerable as a man because it's kind of a dirty word for men we don't want to know about it so i just wonder what are some things that you do to kind of let your guard down enough to let other guys who have got their walls up in or kind of level that playing field like you say you know you do it great through your apparel you know that the the shaka project that creates that relationship that permission slip but, you know, if we don't have that that invitation, I wonder if you've, you've got some other ways that, that you yourself have, have done or, or would recommend. Yeah, I think I think it's a lot about consistency um, and consistency with everything that you do as well. So um, not just consistently asking your mates, you know, don't text your mates every single day and say, hey, mate, you okay? Hey, mate, you know, you can talk to me. Um, but being consistent with, you know, being vulnerable, you know, people can sort of just accept the fact that this is exactly who I am. You know, this is someone that, uh, and, you know, even through the, you know, the, the kindness campaign that we try and po- that we try and um, promote as well, you know, through the gyms, we do a lot of stuff, um, you know, for different charities and not just mental health, other, other sort of charities. And, you know, if, if I can promote kindness and promote this and promote that, and then if someone comes to me and, and says, hey, can you, you know, can you donate? this to our charity and I say no, then I'm not, you know, I'm not really doing anything that I've, I've promised. You know, I haven't, I haven't really kept my word and it's not really about, you know, donating to a cause, but um, it's more about just being that person behind the message. Um, and, you know, my message is that you can come and talk to me about, about uh, mental health with me. And my message is that, you know, if you, if you want to talk about mental health or if you want someone to talk to, I'm here. If you want to be in a situation where we're trying to promote kindness, I'm here, we're here, everyone at the Shaka Project is here. Um, and if I can't do that myself every single day, um, then I shouldn't be doing it. So that's what I try and do for myself. Um, I try and practice everything that I'm preaching. I think that consistency over the last few years has really sunk in. And probably when I started, you know, like I, like I said before, 
Um, you know, when you got your mates around, say, all right, boys, you still having a beer, we're going to talk about our feelings. At the start, everyone's laughing, everyone's going, piss off, mate, whatever, we're not doing that. Um, but then eventually, one by one, you'll get a message. One by one, someone will, will speak up. Um, it's the same sort of thing. If you can put yourself out there and say, hey, boys, you know, this is who I am. You know, I've got my own struggles. Um, you know, if you want to talk to me, I'm here. You might not get any messages, but I guarantee if you consist, you know, consistently giving that value of, of what you are and who you are and the message that you have um, and being consistent with it, then one day there is going to be someone that thinks, fuck, I'm really struggling. Who am I going to talk to? I think consistency is a massive thing. And just being being the person that you say you are on social media is, again, massive. You know, There's no point being fake. There's no point um, promoting stuff that you don't really give a crap about. You can see who, who is authentic and who isn't. Um, you can see people that are, that are putting stuff up to you know to get to see what sort of reaction they get they're not getting they're not putting stuff out just to see people actually respond to it you know actually enjoy what they're putting out um you know we would we would rather get one like on a post and have absolutely no sales of t-shirts um than have you know twenty thousand followers uh, sorry likes on a post which isn't us you know which isn't authentically what we want to say um we want to promote what we're feeling and what we believe that um, needs to be said. And we sort of break the barrier every now and then, you know, every now and then we'll put up a post, you know, just saying, don't be a fuckhead, you know, just simple things like that. <laughs> um, and that's sort of breaking that barrier of what you should be doing as, as a business, um, as, a, as a sort of promotion sort of thing. But, you know, that's real. That's 100% what we are about. We want to be authentic. So, you know, I think be the person that you're trying to, you're trying to be um, on social media and that you're trying to promote, be authentic, be consistent. Um, and, you know, if you're going to promote mental health, then make sure that you're promoting mental health within and without. So on social media and off social media, mm-hmm. um, don't, don't share a post about mental health and then go and talk to your mates about how much for dickhead that bloke is on the work side or how he's a fuckhead or I don't like him because of this because of that or spreading rumours you know you can't share about mental health if you're going to bully people on site Um, you can't share about you know caring about people's feelings and and suffering about mental health if you're not a good person if you're not kind just just try and be real just try and be as real as you possibly can definitely and and you know one of the things that I'm just thinking of as you're speaking when we think of that classic masculinity and i just want to hammer at home really when i think of what i could do myself as a man i would find it quite easy to go out there and steal a couple of cell phones and drink as much piss as i could and and get in fights but what i feel deep inside would be the hardest thing for me to do is go up to even one of my mates or or someone maybe i'll see on site that I can tell is not feeling that great and really just approach them with, with a view to having a conversation about mental health. Like for me that that's so much harder than doing that kind of stuff where, you know, anyone can go and get a tattoo and get pissed and, you know, get in a fight. Like that's easy. Blokes can do that. That's what we do. But you know, it's almost like that cliche kind of idea of, Oh, you're soft is in fact like the hardest thing you can do. Uh, yeah, at least that's how I feel anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And again, it comes down to that, you know, the, the person that's 
even saying, oh, that's pretty soft, mate, like, you know, harden up, they're probably thinking deep down, you know, I really shouldn't be saying this because I am struggling myself. But again, it's about breaking that ice, you know, that, that might have been that first conversation. Um, but then when that person, again, in six, 12, two years, they're going through some shit, as long as you put that message in their head, you know, just plant that seed. You pretty much, as I said before, you're giving that permission to slip straight away that, you know, it might not be now, and it might not be a moment that you need to talk. Um, or if you just want to, you know, have a chat, you know, sit down, have a beer, um, and, you know, just discuss things. You know, I've got mates that, I've got one, one of my very close mates, we call him Big Bert. Um, he's a big boy. He's, he's, a, he's a powerlifter. He's, he's actually a runner now. He'll like it when I say that because uh, he'll listen to this. Um, he, but he's a very big boy. We call him Big Bert. But he's the most gentle man I've ever met. Um, every single time we see him, I give him a big cuddle. And, uh, you know, anyone that knows him will know he's just the loveliest guy you'll ever meet. If you saw him down the street and you didn't know him, you'd think he'd probably knock your, knock your head off if you looked at him funny. Um, He's a he's a very big boy, but he's just got an absolute heart of gold, um, and I think I think that's exactly what we need to change. Is when we see someone down the street, we're not looking at them saying, "Oh, he's a big guy." Yeah, he's he's a he's a big dude. Um, I better not look at him. I better not talk to him or something like that. We we need to be able to look at a guy and think, "Geez, I hope he's doing all right." You know, I hope you know it, 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 he does. Maybe he's not doing okay. If he's doing something out of the ordinary. Um, you know, even if he's on the work site and if, if you've known this guy for a long time and um, he's a big dude and big tough guy and he just starts to act a little bit off than what he normally is, um, you know, except for saying, oh, he must be grumpy, you know, let's just go up and just say, hey, mate, you're all right. You know, what's going on? Do you want to chat? You know, because I guarantee that deep down, that if, if, that, if that, you know, seed is planted, that you are someone that he can talk to, um, that he will one day come to you and say, hey, mate, you know, let's go have a beer. Let's go have a chat. Um, so, yeah, I think that masculinity is just such a broad topic that you could talk about for, for hours. And um, there's so many things that sort of come off. Um, and I believe being a good man is cutting out all that rubbish that men are used to, you know, all the blokes sitting around talking about females and, and saying, oh, yeah, do this and do that. I think that the strongest man is the one that stands up and says, all right, boys, come on, cut it out. You know, we don't really need to talk about that. Um, you know, I'm not saying cut out complete. You know, don't be an absolute prune and, you know, just sit there and, and not talk about anything. But, you know, be respectful, be kind um, and be that guy that these boys really look up to. They're not going to look up to the guy that knocks the socks off someone for no reason down at the pub. They're going to look up to the guy that, you know, is so open with himself that he can talk about his feelings. Um, and it might, it might not have be been now, might not have been two weeks, but eventually it will be. Yeah, well said. This has been great, Sean. I think we'll, we'll wrap it up soon. And, and one thing that I kind of want to close on, and you've said it all the way through the podcast, but I think it's something that um, is important, especially for men. And I just want to ask you, kind of what's your own personal experience been as you talk more and more about mental health in general and your own mental health? So, Basically, how has your mental health changed by just opening up and talking about it? Um, I think it's it's been massive for me. I haven't been in the same position um, that I was for a very long time. I still have struggles. You know, every week there's there's days where I just don't want to do anything, and I'm just really struggling with with um, you know with work or with life or with relationships, whatever it might be. Um, but I think the biggest difference between 
now and then is back then I didn't have anything. I didn't have anyone to talk to. Um, well, I, be- I believed I didn't have anyone to talk to. Um, and again, I was in that mind frame of this isn't happening because you're the big tough guy. Um, but now because I've let myself you know, be, be vulnerable and I've had that consistency of being vulnerable, I can literally talk to any single one of my mates now and, you know, just text them and say, hey, mate, I'm not doing very well. Um, can we catch up and have a chat? There is not one person in my phone book right now that I would be uncomfortable with um, giving them a call and, and just chat about whatever I need to talk about. Um, so I think that's our biggest, that, that's the biggest change from, um, you know, my teenage years. It's just become a, and I think the shack has given me that, sort of universal permission slip as well. Um, you know, I have a lot of mates who come to me and, and they talk to me about what they're going through and just that that closeness between myself and my mates I've never really experienced. You know, the mates that I used to be close with were all close because we were mates, you know, we'd have a beer together, we'd go do drugs together. Um, but you know, I wouldn't know I wouldn't know what they're going through. Um, but you know, I can again go through my phone now and call someone up and say, Hey, how's that situation going? or um, hope you're doing okay. And, you know, I got a message about 10 minutes before this podcast, actually, from a mate um, that I haven't seen in a while and just checking in with me. He said, hey, mate, hope you're doing okay. Catch up soon. So just little things like that. I think that's the biggest adaption that I've had. Again, it's it's opened me up. The whole, the, the reach that we've been able to have with the Shaka Project has made me so much more comfortable talking about mental health um, because I can see just how many guys out there want to talk about it. Mm. Um, and that is reflective of the amount of sales that we have, the amount of um, people that message us every single day. It is, it is something that guys want to talk about and they want to explore more, um, but there's just so many people trying to, again, break that ice and start that conversation. But it's made me more aware that I'm not the only one and there are so many other people in Australia, New Zealand, all across the world that are doing such amazing things, just trying to you know, push this card along and continue this conversation. Yeah, and and I want to you know extend my personal thanks from myself and from everyone out there who's who's supportive of what you're doing. Uh, I think it's I think you're doing a great thing, man, and and I really appreciate it. And it's really important, you know. There's a lot of men out there and women who are struggling, and to to get that kind of little positive message maybe every day, or to know that there's a community out, uh, of people out there who are like-minded and who you know you don't you don't feel as alone in your own struggles and and if that's all you achieve then i think you've done a great thing so yes thanks for doing that brother i appreciate it if you want to give a little not shout out to yourself but if you just want to tell the people (laughs) where where they can uh where they can find you and and any kind of projects coming up or anything new with the shaka project um feel free to share it yeah absolutely you can find us on instagram which is uh at Instagram, at The Shaka Project. Um, our website is theshakaproject.com. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for the support. Um, it's just absolutely incredible. Awesome. Thank you, brother. No All worries, the mate. best, and, and we'll have to do it again sometime. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, mate. All right, thanks for listening, friends. If, like me, you enjoy conversations about the love of building and creating them, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review at wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much to Sean for his time and thoughtful words on this one. I have so much respect for the way he has been able to learn and grow from his experiences and shape a movement that has given back to so many. He's carrying the torch that 
will light a fire for many men to reach out and look after themselves and their brothers and I thank him very much for that. Go and follow the Shaka Project on Instagram. Definitely go and get your own permission slip in the form of apparel from theshakaproject.com. Thanks again to you for your time and support. I really appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at chipawaycarpenter to keep up to date with what's happening on the podcast. And until the next one, keep chipping away.